Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. We're, uh, we're literally basking in the overflow of an Emerge conference. And the, the, everything happens in two dimensions. The Bible says, on earth as it is in heaven. The Bible says, that which is seen is temporal, that which is unseen is eternal. So things happen in an earthly realm and in a heavenly realm. Things happen in a visible realm and they happen in an invisible realm. And this week, if you were at Emerge, you would have visibly seen 3,100 men. You would have visibly seen that we had the largest RV park for one weekend in California. 586 RVs. We were the largest RV park in California for one weekend. You would have seen men carrying burdens and men around a fire and men competing on a battlefield. But in the spirit, something was shifting in the spirit. I, I, I was watching, I watched, you know, I watched Pastor Samuel. I watched Pastor Samuel standing at the stage. And then there's three steps and you got onto the first platform where, where beautiful Pastor Paulie Enderberg and, and the musicians were. And I watched as Samuel's foot hit that platform, his face, the demeanor shifted. And then when he went up the next three steps onto the, onto the stage, it was no longer Pastor Sam, it was apostle. He, he, was, he was apostolic. There was authority, there was strength, there was clarity, there was a prophetic. The Bible says the oil, the oil is what they use for anointing. And I've, I've, I've got one of my favorite shirts, one of my favorite shirts. I've washed it nine times. It has an oil stain here because I got carried away pesciera meal. I got some olive oil and some balsamic and the olive oil dripped. It doesn't matter how much stain spray I put in that stupid thing. Every time I pull it out, it's right there again. I know I have to throw it. I know I have to throw it. Because the, I can't. No, no, I look untidy. Trust me, I look untidy. I'll just get another shirt. I'll spend the $5 and get another shirt. But it's like. But the, the, the oil. So I'm telling you, you're going to watch this space. You're going to watch this man. He's going to be operating at a new level because what he stepped into was stained. I watched the same with Charles Fuller. Charles is the most kind, gentle pastor. He got up and was a beast, prophetic, powerful leadership. Then I watched Matt Tuck. Everybody that stepped onto that platform. And then I felt the Holy Spirit say that the, the apostle, the apostolic anointing is a breakthrough anointing. It's a breakthrough. And God always pours the anointing on the head and then it flows down the body. I watched Paul Smith. Paul Smith's a different man. He's a different man. Lift your hands, Paul. He's a different man. He's a different man. Sweetheart, the, the, the husband you sent to emerge is not the one that came home. I hope you didn't, I hope you didn't mace him when he walked in last night. He may look different. He may act. He's stepped into an apostolic. This Paul, the, the hand of God. I, I watched it over the weekend. 
Because, and this is what I heard the Lord say, because his heart has become softer, my hand upon him has become greater. His influence will be greater. His, his sight, he will see greater. He will see further. Not only will you see further, but you will, you, you will see God's promises come to pass in your life. There are many men, they, they can see or they're believing for God's promises, but they never come to pass because they never deal with their heart. But this weekend, you are a man at the altar bringing your heart to the fire of God. And because you allowed God to penetrate deep resources and deep painful areas in your heart, you're going to see. You're going to see further, but you're going to see the things, the promises of God that you're believing for, hoping for, coming to pass in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So say all of that. Forgive me. I say all of that to say this. There's just a new anointing. In, in, in this atmosphere. So I want you to lift your hands and get you some of it. Say, say these words, say, Heavenly Father, I thank you that fresh oil rests upon my life. I thank you that today something shifted. 3,000 men shifted something. And today I get to step into it. I declare today I am the head, not the tail. Above, not beneath. I am blessed going in. I am blessed coming out. The favor of God, the power of God, the hand of God rests upon my life. In Jesus' name, go ahead, give Him a great praise, a great amen. 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 Listen, Leanne and I had the privilege of spending seven years in New Zealand. Just yesterday, Leanne's like, yeah, I want to go back to New Zealand now that they're open again. They're a little bit crazy. But one of the greatest things that ever came out of New Zealand is a man by the name of Peter Arnold. This man right here. He is, he is a, a fierce all-black supporter. He is one of the most faithful ushers, one of the most faithful servants in the house of God. I love Peter Arnold. He's an amazing man. And he's, he's funny. He's naughty. He always gives me a hard time. He, he's... No, but I love that about you. Are you kidding? Don't apologize. So I just said to Peter, I said, um, this is my, my friend, one of my dearest friends from Australia, Ryan Gilbank. Uh, he's all the way from Brisbane, Australia. He brought his two sons and his, and his adopted son, Miller, from all the way from Australia. And uh, they, got, they got some merch yesterday. Did, did you get merch as well, Miller? You got some merch, right? But Michael, you didn't, right? So Peter Arnold went and got some so Peter got you some stuff because you missed out yesterday. So we're going to make sure that, uh, that we get it to you today. We love you, man. Amen. All right, give two or three people a high five and just say, man, I hope the preaching's good. One more time, can we just honor all the generals that came back from battle Fourth place out of 52 teams. Are you kidding me? Six of the top 10 from the North region. Are you kidding me? That was just incredible, but it's great leadership. Uh, the title of my message today is Valor. The theme for the conference was Valor. Um, I, 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 Thursday, I was putting together my message for Thursday night and you know, the media team needs the, the points and everything in by a certain time. And it was like 
any any distraction that could have come did come. And because I was going to write on Thursday, I was going to write my Thursday message and my Sunday message. And then I realized I wasn't even going to get through my Thursday message, which is the opening of, and I knew I'd heard from God, but I needed to crystallize those thoughts and get it down. So I literally finished writing the message. I'd sent the notes prophetically in Jesus' name in faith and then wrote, wrote it out when I, when I got to, to the Emerge Ranch, but I hadn't done Sundays yet. And I know that they need them by Saturday. And so I thought, oh, I'll get a chance during the meeting. There was no chance during the meetings. I thought, you know, after the meeting, there was no chance after the meeting. Well, you know, at night when everyone's gone, no one was going to bed. Like people were going to bed. I think the earliest we got to bed was 1 a.m. People around the campfires crying and hugging it out and confessing and getting saved and getting baptized in the Holy Ghost and people getting here like 3 a.m. It was a little bit ridiculous. And then do you know how hard it is to write a message when all you've eaten is brisket? Tomahawk steaks. <laughs> there was no vegetable. Actually, did you notice that? Like, we looked everywhere for, you know, the soy supplement tofu. There wasn't, I don't know where that was. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, I just felt the Lord say, just let, let, let the weekend spill over into Sunday. And preach on valor, valor. So come with me to a story in the Bible, Judges chapter 6. For time's sake, this time, I'm going to abbreviate it a little bit. So in Judges chapter 6, it's the story of Gideon. In Hebrew, Gidon. And Gidon in Hebrew means uh, strong one, warrior, one who cuts in pieces. So, so his parents named him Gidon. They, they named him strength. They named him warrior. They named him one who cuts in pieces. But the Bible says in Judges chapter 6, it says that the, the children of, of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Everyone say evil. evil. Get your little finger and go evil. <laughs> say laser. <laughs> say hot magma. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I call him mini-me. So the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now watch this. this you know, if this comes as a shock, and it did for me because I'm a little hard-headed. Um, what always follows did evil in the sight of the Lord. The next verse always reads, so the Midianites came in. So the Lord handed them over to. So evil, when, when evil is present in God's people, the enemy is empowered. Evil empowers the evil one. I, I know it's like, duh, What? What? You know, yeah, yeah, evil empowers the evil one. That's why we stand against evil. So what happened here in this story is very similar to what's happened in America and around the world. When the churches went woke, the church bought into a lie that somehow if we, if we kind of dilute the truth, if we back up from the truth, if we don't contend for the truth, then more people will fill the church. So we were told, hey, hey, don't, don't, don't talk about Jesus. It offends people. And we're like, oh, okay, devil. Oh, what else do you not want us to talk about? Don't mention the Ten Commandments. Okay, we'll scratch that. Don't mention God's so don't, Lord. Don't talk about holy. Okay, we'll scratch. You just tell us, devil, what we need to do to grow our churches. Problem is, because we, we step back, that doesn't just remain empty. It doesn't just remain a valley. When, when the kingdom retracts, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness fills in the gap. There's only one, there's only two kingdoms. You can only be in one of two kingdoms. And so when we step back, the enemy stepped in. So now we have, we have people, 
like trying to tell you that there's no male and female, that there are 67 or 167 or endless, you know, that, that masculinity is toxic. That, that somehow God made a mistake when he made man. And that God made a mistake when he made the woman. The greatest definition for masculinity is that which is least feminine. And the greatest definition of femininity is that which is least masculine. Masculinity is that which is least feminine. Femininity is that which is least masculine. So in the beginning, God made man in his image, male masculine and female feminine. He created not to compete, but to compliment, to compliment. That, this, that a man is not meant to be woman and woman is not meant to be, he is meant to be d- distinct. She is meant to be distinct. They complement one another. They blend well together. So it emerged, we decided we we're going to step up and we were going to just stick it to the devil and we were going to show people God's biblical blueprint and divine definition of what masculinity looked like. That we had men who could compete. They could go to war on the battlefield. That they were testing their strength. Like we saw Graham Desert, you know, a guy, you know, at least a foot and a half taller than him. with Bigger guy. It looked, If you were looking at it, it looked like, okay, God bless Graham. He gave it his best shot. Let's just, that's, that's what it looked like. If you were looking at the pre, it's like, well, you couldn't get a, a bigger guy. Why, why, why would you put Graham but I'm not sure if you saw him. He just did not quit. He just, the, the guy was inches away from winning and this guy would not quit, would not give up. And he kept, he, he had to literally from the other guy's finish line, crawl all the way back up to the, the victory line and won a victory over insurmountable odds. We had men on the battlefield discovering, strength can't be discovered until it's tested. You don't know what you got. You don't know what you got until it's put under duress. Do you know what they do with airplanes? With airplanes, because uh, I've got friends who are pilots, they tell me that, the, that they hate, um, every year they have to go for a week to, to requalify. And they hate it because they said it's so much pressure, so much stress. They will literally put them in a simulator, which, you know, your entire peripheral, you think you're in a plane. I've flown in a simulator. And they said they, 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 will, they will knock out three things, but they don't tell you which three things get knocked down. So they say you're always flying in like a terrible storm, in adverse winds and rain and lightning. And then they will knock out either all the power will go out on the plane or they'll knock out um, one of the engines or two of the engines. Uh, then the, the, they'll overload the plane with weight. They'll, they'll put all these things in to test the pilot. And the pilot is flying without instruments in horrific turbulence and storms with engines gone, with no ins- and he has to land the plane safely against all kinds of adversity. Why, why, why would these people be so cruel? Are they just cruel? No, they're doing that because your lives are at stake. And they know that if they can test the pilots in this, then they can handle anything when you pay your, because your safety is their priority. We had 300, 
Not a coincidence, 300 young men run the rite of passage. What is the rite of passage? The rite of passage is, is it's brutal. The, the young kids that finished, one of the kids who ran it last year said, man, this was 10 times harder this year. Kids were puking at the top of the hill, but they got to the top of the hill. When you see those kids wearing the, the Valor badge that we... The, that we put in the metal that we put on them, they didn't buy it at the tuck shop. They earned that thing because they ran through a rite of passage. They ran through a rite of passage because, because we put them under duress. We put them under stress. There were grown men with pads knocking them to the ground, knocking, standing over them, intimidating them, daring them not to get up. Kids were getting up. One kid that sprained his leg, three other kids stopped and they picked this kid up and they ran almost a mile carrying this kid and they got him to the finish line. You don't know what's in you till it's tested. You don't know the strength you have till it's tested. So, so emerge, emerge was to, to put man in duress, but the same man who discovered they had strength. They discovered they had moxie. They discovered they had resilience. They were knocked down. They, 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 they were being dragged towards the, the enemy's finish line. And then they, they, they found that there was a resilience. They found that there was a button. They found there was another gear that they could engage to, to turn insurmountable odds against them into victory, into a check. The, the men went there and they discovered something. It is so important that we do that because when life comes at you, there are no dress rehearsals. There are no dress rehearsals. And when men lose, the family loses. When men lose society loses did you know that for every one woman that commits suicide four men commit suicide a woman will talk about it and men won't talk about it a man will just go and do it when men suffer they suffer alone when men struggle they struggle alone men isolate themselves and then they eliminate themselves and we are here to make sure that the devil doesn't get to define masculinity because he has an agenda he has an agenda to wipe out our men we're going to put men under duress we're going to put men under stress. We're going to put them on a battlefield. We're going to tell them there's a warrior on the inside of you. There's an alpha lion that roars on the inside of you. His name is Jesus Christ. Through Christ, you can do all things. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Men need that. Men need that. You won't win every battle. You won't win every battle. The Bible says that the righteous falls seven times, seven times he rises again. Many years ago in the rite of passage, Eric, we, uh, I, I noticed an anomaly. My, my youngest son, Tommy, was running and I'm running along beside him and every dad had to give their son a Bible and so he's running with a Bible and you've got to get it to the finish line and there were these big bullies knocking them, knocking them to the ground and my little Tommy's like, what dad? Like, and I'm on the outside of the road, but I wasn't allowed to intervene. And he's running and they knock him to the ground. And my little guy, he's my sensitive little guy. And he's looking at me, he's got tears in his eyes. He's like, why are these people so mean? And I'm like, stop it. And he gets up and they knock him down again. I'm like, come on. Like, stop knocking him. He's a little kid. Pick on him when you're, but it was, they had to do it. Because life is there are bullies in this world. There are people that will seduce you into signing a business contract. They didn't disclose to you that they've got bankruptcy. And they, they, they use all kinds of flattering words. Oh, praise the Lord. 
They'll tell you that they're a Christian. And then once you sign in the contract, all of a sudden you find you've lost your home, you've lost your bank accounts, you've lost everything. Life can be so cruel. Evil is in the world. Bullies are in this world. So I'm watching my, my son Tommy and I couldn't intervene. I'm on the sideline. But then I noticed a kid, a foot and a half taller than Tommy, stronger kid. He got knocked down. Tommy got up for the third or fourth time and ran again. And I'm like, come on, Tommy, you got it, ran again. But I'm watching this other kid just laying there crying. And then what are you crying for? You're bigger than Tommy. You've only been knocked down two, maybe three times. Get up. And then I noticed another kid crying, couldn't get up. And another kid crying, couldn't get up. I'm like, these kids are bigger than my little Tommy. Why are they not getting up? And the Holy Spirit said, do you see what's going on here? I'm like, well, I see it, but I don't see it. What am I missing? And he said, every kid that gets knocked down that cannot get back up, that will not get back up has one thing in common. I'm like, what is it? He said, there's no voice of their father on the sideline. There was no voice. There was no voice of a father on the sideline. So these kids lay there saying my obstacle and my giant is too great for, for what is in me because there's no daddy calling out the greatness. And then, as only God does, I watched Champ Johnson come running through and he gets knocked down and Andre Johnson is on the sideline and instead of yelling for his son, he's yelling at the guys knocking him down going, hit him harder next time. And I'm like... Come on, is that all you got? And I watched Champ look at his dad cheering for the, the guys knocking him down. Champ gets hit down again. And Andre's like, come on, you hit like a woman. What's right? And, and, he's, and I'm like, hey, you should be cheering for your boy. And Champ's looking at his dad. And then I just see Champ smile. And he's got a little bit of blood trickling from And he wipes it up with dirt. And he just looks at his dad. And he runs at these guys even harder and I watch these guys go like this to brace and then right at the last second he sidesteps and goes round them and then and then he gives them a as he runs towards the finish line so even his dad cheering for the, the adversary Ch- champ Johnson knew wow Dad is saying to them, hit me harder. What does my dad see in me that he's not seeing in them? And they ran. I'm struggling now, Pastor Samuel. The, the voice of it. You don't know what's in you until it's tested. So three quick thoughts. I'm... You're going to have to read the story of Gideon. Gideon's in a wine press. An angel of the Lord comes to him, says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. He's like, I'm not mighty. I suck. Look at me. I'm living so far below my potential. My parents called me warrior, but circumstances, adversary, evil, the Midianites, oppression, poverty, failure, my circumstances have overwhelmed me. And here I am threshing wheat. And the angel's like, you're a mighty man. No, I'm not. I'm threshing wheat in a wine press just to hide. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, you know, trying to 
save enough so that I can eat. And he's like, exactly, exactly. You're not letting the devil dictate what you can. You're, you're refusing to live under oppression. You're refusing to live under socialism. You're refusing to live under communism. You're, 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 you're saying, you know what? I, I don't care. I'm going to defy the odds. I'm going to fight. I'm going to defy. I'm not living under these, these orders. I'm stepping up. So it's quick, three quick thoughts. The first one is valor attracts power. Valor attracts the power of God. Now, this is not popular preaching, Graham, for uh, as a pastor, I shouldn't be teaching you this. I should tell you that God's power is attracted to the religious. That God's power is attracted to, to those who are holy unto the Lord. And absolutely, holiness is a good thing. I should be telling you that God's power is attracted to religious folk, to doctrine, to theology. If that was the case, the most powerful people in Jesus' day would have been the Pharisees. But the Pharisees, as religious and theology and separated, the, the word Pharisee literally means parashe, which means the separated ones. As, as, as holy as they were perceived to be, as religious, they didn't have enough power to, to blow the fluff off a peach. And then here comes this unruly son of a carpenter who's healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind, cleansing lepers, raising the dead, operating in power. God's power does not fall on religion, it falls on courage. Every time you read your Bible and you see God move in power, just back up a few verses and you'll see a man or a woman stepping out in courage. Esther, Esther, Mordecai, your uncle comes and he says, listen, the, the decree has been signed. It's been written into law. It just passed the House and the Senate that on this particular day, every Jewish person will be annihilated. Israel will be wiped from the face of the earth unless somebody goes to the king. And she says, I can't go to the king. He hasn't called on me for months. If, if I enter into the king's presence unannounced, it's a death penalty. It's instant death. And Mordecai says, do you think just because you're married to the king that, that you, you may not be the first to be eliminated but once they trace your bloodline and they realize that you're Jewish you will perish also but don't worry don't worry darling if you stay silent God will deliver his people because he promised to but deliverance will rise from somewhere else but just maybe just maybe you were brought into the kingdom for such a time as this the Bible says the Bible says that Esther rose in courage she goes through the door and the king had never seen such boldness and he extended his scepter and God brought deliverance. God always moves in power on the other side of courage. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were threatened. How come you ain't bowing to this image of the world, this image of the king, this statue, 60 cubits high, six cubits wide. Everyone else is bowing. Why aren't you bowing? They say, because we don't bow to idols. We worship the one true God. And the king says, don't you know who I am? You and your religion. 
religious devotion and he commanded them to heat the furnace seven times hotter than it had ever been heated before. And he says, now I'll give you one last chance to bow. If you bow, you won't burn. But if you refuse to bow, I will command these mighty men to throw you into the fire. And who is the God who can deliver you from my hands? And they said, King, we don't even need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God who we serve is able to deliver us from your hand. But let us just make it clear to you, King, even if he chooses not to, even if he doesn't, we still won't, we'd rather burn than bow. King, you can kiss my foot. I ain't bowing. I ain't bowing. I ain't bowing. So the Bible says they bound Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and they took them and they threw them in the fiery furnace. And then the king sat down on his throne and says, ah, enough defectors now. Thank God we did. And then he summoned, he says, didn't we throw three men in the fire? They said, true, O king, three men. He says, then why do I see four men walking around in the midst of the furnace, loosed, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So the Bible says the king ran to the edge of the furnace and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, has your God, whom you serve continually day and night, has he been able to, to deliver you from the fiery furnace? Come out. I would have said, no, come on in. It's lovely. <laughs> we, we thought we might make schmores. Come on in. But the Bible says they came out. They came out in full view of everybody. And the Bible says not a hair of their head was singed. There wasn't even any smoke on their clothing. Can you imagine what it would have been like to step out and everyone looking? I mean, how do you walk out? You don't just kind of walk out like, here you go, here you go. You're going to walk with a little bit of moxie. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how you, I'm just trying to imagine, how do you walk when you come out of there? Three men that had courage, God's power turns up. Joshua, courage, power. Every time men step out in courage, God's power turns up. A guy called Shammai, everyone's running from, from the Philistines. A Philistine army has come in like a swarm, like locusts. And as, as Shemar is running, he's running through a field of lentils. He probably doesn't even like lentils, but, but this field is, it belongs to Israel. And it's like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Even though I don't really like lentils, why? It's not about the lentils. This is ours. God gave us this. So the Bible says he just turned around. And everyone's like, quick, run. What are you doing? Don't stop, man. Don't stop. Keeping. He's like, no, you guys go. I got this. And he unsheaths his sword and an entire Philistine army look at him and they're like, oh, we're about to wipe you off the map. He's like, bring it. And the Bible says, when Shema stood, the Lord fought through Shema 
And that day the Lord brought a mighty victory and defeated an entire Philistine army. So much so that his hand cleaved to the sword. At the end of the battle, they had to pry his fingers open from the great, there were Philistine carcasses everywhere, but he secured the land. When men stand, God turns up. When men stand in courage, God turns up. In 2020, they're like, hey, why don't you bow like everybody else? Don't you know every other pastor is bowed? Just back up. Come on, man. You're, they're calling you grandma killer. They're calling you super spreader. They're calling you, what were some of the other ones, Leonie? Plague rats. I mean, you name her on the evening news. And a weekend, church, another outbreak of COVID happened in the weekend, church. Yeah, of course it did. Because we're trying to get you your immunity up. Absolutely. No, no, you need to have this unproven vaccination. Don't look at myocarditis. Don't look at don't look at don't look at the don't look at the heart attack deaths. Don't look at young people. God knew what he what he was doing when he designed your body, even though they manufactured a deadly virus in a lab on purpose. On purpose. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. I, I had COVID twice. Twice. So I got double anointing immunity. Let it come. The first time it came, I, I took um, oregano oil, which is brutal, but man, it kicked its. I smelled like a pizza. But I got it, I got it twice. I got, I got all the immunity I need. You're, you're more than a conqueror, you're more than an overcomer. When we stood encouraged, I talked to another mega church pastor and he's like, man, you're taking the wrong stance. You're not going to have a church left. I said, well, funny you should say that because we're about to open our largest campus in San Marcos. He's like, oh, you know, where's your San Marcos campus currently meeting? I said, we don't, we don't have, uh, we, we don't have a San Marcos, uh, we don't have a. He's like, so you're going to open a 1200 seat auditorium in the middle of COVID, in the middle of lockdowns. He says, most churches are running maybe 15%. Yeah. He goes, so you're going to sell Bressy Ranch? No, we're not selling Bressy Ranch. Why would you not sell Bressy Ranch? Because Bressy Ranch is going to have a powerhouse couple leading it into overflow every service. Why would we give? We ain't giving up territory to the devil. That's not courage. God, His power lands where there's courage. So we opened San Marcos. It's full. This thing is full. We bought Salt Lake City. That puppy is full. We, we bought El Cajon. That baby is full. God turns up with His courage. I'm in big trouble, big trouble. Number two, valor chooses pain that alters. Valor chooses pain that alters. In the Denzel Washington movie of Equalizer 2, there's a guy who's abducted his daughter from his wife and Denzel Washington's on this train and this guy comes to him to tell him that because he's wealthy and a man of power, he's... he's he. Denzel Washington shouldn't be sitting in this cart because it, he's hired that cart. And he says, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just traveling to Turkey to try and find something. And so he turns to his man, he's traveling, and the, and the guy, whatever he was, and he says, um, my friends say, whatever you look for in Turkey, you can find it. And he says, well, you know, could I find, could I find a man, not, not a real man, 
a man who abducts his daughter, not because he loves his daughter, but because he wants to punish his wife. Do you think I could find such a man in Turkey? And the guy's like, if I were you, I would not look for such a man. It would not be wise. It would be dangerous for you. And then Denzel Washington goes, see, a man like that would think that. He says, but as God is my witness, I would give that man a chance. I'd give him a chance to think, to imagine the worst thing that could happen to him, to, to imagine that. And so the guy gets up, calls his bodyguards. Denzel Washington, it's a great movie, takes out the bodyguards. And once these thug bodyguards are taken out, Denzel Washington sits with him. And he says to the man who's now trembling, he says, there are two kinds of pain. The pain that hurts and the pain that alters. Today I'm going to let you choose. Life, unfortunately, has pain. The pain of loss, the pain of losing a marriage, the pain of losing a business, the, the, the pain of disappointment, the pain of betrayal. Life comes with pain. However, you can choose pain that alters and I found that every time I've chosen pain that alters, it actually creates a bridge over the pain that hurts. Every time I've experienced the pain that hurts, it's because I rejected pain that alters. We had men around campfires choosing pain that alters. They, they had the pain of confessing that I cheated on my spouse. They had the pain of confessing I struggle with pornography. They had the pain of confessing I've been stealing, I've been lying on my tag. They had the pain of confessing I've been living a double life. They had the, because, they, because they embrace the pain that alters, they will actually now vaccinate themselves against the pain that hurts. There are two kinds of pain. There are two kinds of pain. Valor, people of valor choose the pain that alters. I had a whole altar thing, but I can't, I just can't do it. Should I do it? I should do it. All right. So there's a true story. When, when beautiful Pastor Leanne and I moved from New Zealand to Sydney's Northern Beaches, we took over a youth group. And if you were to say, hey, describe the youth group, I would say they're a bunch of backslidden brats. And, uh, I remember talking to one of the pastor's kids and it was youth group. I'm like, hey, where's your Bible? You know, because I'm like, everyone turning your Bibles too. I'm like, oh, where's your Bible? She goes, yeah, right. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah, right. She goes, I ain't going to be seen in public with a Bible. I'm like, but you're a pastor's kid. Yeah, exactly. The, the, these kids were so cool. They were just like dead to God. And so I tried every, I tried all my tricks. Nothing was working. Nothing was landing. So I went into Pastor Phil Pringle's office and I'm like, Pastor Phil, man, uh, I don't know how to get any traction with these kids. They're all, you know, spoiled northern beaches, wealthy, snotty little brats. And, uh, and, and Pastor Phil was brilliant. He goes, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. Why don't you just have a month, month of revivals? Yeah, just, just do a month of revival means. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what's your name? Yeah, youth pastor guy. Yeah, yeah. Let me punch you. Yeah. You should just, just yeah, youth, youth guy, youth guy. Just do a month of revival. And I'm thinking, I can't, I can't do a month of revival. I'll backslide. A whole month. So I managed to whittle it down to 10. Problem, pr problem was, problem was, Pastor Jesse only had seven messages. I had seven messages, seven, that's it. That's all, that's all I got. That's all I got in the seven. And, I'm, and, he went, and I'm, I've committed to 10 nights. And so I'm like, what am I going to do the other three? And then 
thank God my friend Russell Evans, who runs Planet Shakers, called me and said, hey, listen, we got this preacher from America. He's like the Assemblies of God, number one youth evangelist, you know, and he's available on the first night. I'm like, flip, send him up. Send him up. Now I've got eight out of ten nights covered. I just need two more. And so he comes up and, you know, he was a great, he was slick. He had all the, you know, the preaching and he had the American accent. And, you know, he, it, and, and it was just, and I'm just, oh, this is awesome. This is awesome. So he gets to the altar course, like, you know, every head bowed and every eye closed. <laughs> if you're here and your life's not right with Jesus, just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. You're going to be accepted in eternity. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. This is awesome. And then I, I hear him laboring. He's like, if there's anybody like that, anybody at all, I'm like, sure. Like, I know half of these, half of these kids are flipping not saved. And I'm looking and, you know, you're not meant to look. You're not meant to look. So, you know, I've got my head down because he said every head bowed, every eye closed. But when you're the youth badge, you get an exemption. Now, obviously, I didn't open both my eyes because he said every head, but as a youth pastor, you kind of get a free pass to at least open one eye. So I'm like, <laughs> like looking around and, and I look and I see Nick. I see Nick over here and this guy's talking about, you know, your sand. And I'm like, Nick, you, you flipping nightclubbing last night. I, you know, you came home drunk as a Nick. I'm like, Nick, Nick. He's talking about you. And I remember Nick just looks at me and goes, and then he keeps going. And there are people, brilliant. What teenager that's just had this of testosterone isn't struggling with? Remember when you're 10 and you saw a girl, it's like, ooh, girls, jams. And then, you know, 13, 14, testosterone hits you like, ooh, girls' jams. It's, I mean, it's just, so he's doing the sexual sin thing. And I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. Brilliant. And I'm looking, I'm, you know, peeking again. I'm like, nobody's moving. And I'm like, dear God, nobody's moving. No one's going forward. And then the, then the Holy Spirit says, Yergs, you go forward. I'm like, what? You go forward. I'm like, ah, oh, that's a good one. Uh, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, you're not as funny as Samuel, but hey, you made Samuel, so. It's like, no, go forward. I'm like, God, um, this may come as a shock, but if you look at my door, it says youth pastor. Jurgen, and they obviously got my last name spelt wrong, but I got grace for that, but it says youth pastor. I'm, I'm the youth leader. I can't go forward. Besides, he's talking about sexual. You can do that. And so, you know, he's, and so, so then, then God says to me, you're the youth leader. I'm like, yeah, then lead. <laughs> what? Youth leaders lead. And this guy, I mean, he's calling out stuff. I'm like, that's not even possible. And he's like, he's calling. <laughs> and so, true story, I get up like an idiot and just start. I'm the only one. There's a room full of 150 teenagers and the only one responding to the altar to get their life right is the youth guy. No, no, I don't know why you're clapping. It's embarrassing. So as I'm walking forward, 
this voice I'd never heard before right here goes, what is he doing? And I'm like, well, I felt, I felt God tell me to go forward. Stop. Turn around. I said I shouldn't go forward. Uh-uh. Oh, oh, why not? What will people think? I'm like, what will people think? I said, I'm not going forward. What are people going to think? And then God says, Yurks, do you know what that voice is? I'm like, it sounds like Elmo. No. <laughs> He's like, that's pride. I said, are you pride? Uh-huh. I said, get out of here. <laughs> so the next one, the next one. So this is a true story. He's, he's on the platform. I mean, he's calling out sins that... I, they're probably not even in the Bible. I mean, he's just making stuff up. And the only idiot is me. And he moves his microphone away. He moves his microphone away. He goes, what are you doing? And I'm looking at him going. And so he just looks at me because he's, he's assessing the situation. He's an expert. And he's thinking, no wonder no one's responding. The youth pastor is a jacked up mess. So he does this. He goes. And walks off the stage. Oh, no. Oh, oh, oh. It gets worse. It gets even worse. Because I'm standing feeling like an idiot. The preachers just left. I'm like, can this get any worse? God in heaven's like. He's like, Gabriel, Gabriel, watch this. Come here. Michael, Michael, put that demon down. Come watch this, watch this. Hallelujah. Guys, guys, take a break, take a break. Watch this. You know how there was silence in heaven for half an hour? Was it this moment? So the angels come. They all went, look at that, that's yurks. That's yurks. Watch this, watch this. Hey, Yerks. Yeah? Neil. Neil who? Neil down. Don't know him. No, no, you kneel down. Oh, dear God. Do you know, do you know how hard it is to kneel and still be cool. Since my baby left me, I found it. I mean, do you know how hard you can't kneel and be cool at the same time? So like an idiot, I just... And I'm like, it's over. It's over. It's over. And I'm just like, oh, and then next minute, all I could hear was the ruffling of chairs. And I opened my eyes and I look and lined up this way, kneeling down, all my youth lining up this way. The whole youth group came out. I can draw a line in the sand. That was the night where everything shifted, everything changed. We went from a youth group of a hundred and something people to over a thousand people. 
We ran the largest youth conference in the C3 movement in Australia with 7,000 people. Kids poured out on the altar. God said, I will, I will meet you. I will meet you in your seat. But I transform at the altar. I trend. If you will embrace the pain that alters, sometimes the pain that alters will bring you to the altar, saying, I can't live with this anymore. I, I, I've got to go into, the, into the, 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 the painful memories of my past. I can't live with this dysfunction. I can't live with this brokenness. I can't live with this secret. I can't live with this shame. I can't live with this guilt and this regret. In, in my research, I'm finishing my, my Emerge book, but in my research... The, the Romans were the ones who invented crucifixion. And the Romans did not have a police force. The word military comes from a Roman word, militia, militia, which is that they basically had soldiers that executed the king's orders. They didn't have police. What they decided to do, they didn't have prisons either. They had cells that would hold people until sentencing, but they didn't have prisons. There was no prison program. What they wanted to do was they wanted to invent the cruelest capital punishments to dissuade people. That's why thieves, just for stealing, are being crucified. They're, they're being executed publicly, violently on crosses just for stealing. Are you, this was one of, the, one of the penalties for murder. The penalty for murder in ancient Rome was the person that you killed, they would take the, the, the corpse the corpse of the person you killed, they would strip you down to your underwear and they would strap the dead corpse to you with chains so that you couldn't remove it. And then you had to carry the, the, the corpse of the person you murdered. You had to try to sleep with the person you... And what would happen is the decomposing flesh of the corpse would obviously break down and begin to react with the cells in your body so that death would come to you and you would die within a year. Paul, the apostle, says, who will deliver me when he's writing to the church in Rome? He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? The reason we were encouraging men to choose the pain that alters is because men carry the dead weight of them, the things that they've done in the past, the shame, the guilt, the regret, and the priest's job is to bring atonement. The priest's job, the Romans didn't atone, they just punished. When I do wrong, I don't need to know that I've done wrong. I don't need to know that judgment is, I know that judgment is coming, but is there any atoner? Is there any relief? Friend, Jesus Christ is the atoner. Jesus Christ is the reliever. Don't carry that sin. Don't carry that shame. Don't carry that regret. Don't carry that embrace the pain that alters. Come on, let's stand to our feet. You'll have to listen to the nine to get the third point. I've gone way over time. Lift your hands high to heaven. Say these words. Say, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that Jesus came and hung on a cross to break the power of sin, to deliver me from all my shame, all my guilt, all my wrongdoings. Today I am free. I am cleansed. I am clean. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com. 
or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.